Alright guys, we're carrying on here in a Bible study tonight regarding God's grace and salvation. Really is a big subject that we started into last time as well. Like I mentioned, we speak of God's grace often. We sing of God's grace, the glories of His grace, being saved by His grace. And we understand that our eternal life in Christ is not something we earned or deserved, but received as a grace gift. And thankfully, both Arminians and Calvinists believe this, that and they affirm salvation is by grace through faith. But as we've learned in this Doctrines of Grace study, as we're surveying both sides of this long-standing debate, uh, they come to differ to a degree in their understanding of how God's grace actually brings about our salvation. Just how saving is this grace? How does it save? And many times in this big study we've done, we've summarized this as a quest to discover from Scripture The right understanding of God's role and man's role in our salvation. What does God do? What do we do? Is it 50-50? Is it 100-0? What is it? What what are the roles here to affect our salvation? And in this regard, understanding God's grace is kind of a big deal. That's kind of a big factor in, in what his grace does, how it's involved. Does God's grace merely enable us to save ourselves? Maybe, you know, meets us halfway, enables us to really fundamentally contribute to our salvation? Or is his a sovereign grace that works on us where we are entirely passive and we are transformed sovereignly by grace? What's the picture here? What does scripture teach? We began a few lessons ago looking at the Arminian understanding of grace, a study of contrasts throughout The grace that leads to salvation in Arminianism is known as prevenient grace. We did a whole lesson on that. This is a preceding grace. It goes before salvation. It's universal. It's given to all people without exception. But it's not a truly saving grace. Simply based on the fact that, look, this grace is given to everyone in heaven and everyone in hell. Like Everyone gets this grace. This grace is not the deciding factor in your salvation. It's not properly a saving grace, it's, it's an enabling grace. It erases the effects of the fall and total depravity. It restores man's will enough to, so you can choose God, and that choice, your will, is the deciding factor between heaven and hell. This grace can be resisted, though. Where God desires all to be saved, he gives this grace to enable everyone to be saved, but we can thwart his will, and many do, and, and they end up in hell. Now, in previous lessons, we've already covered this ground where this is not a biblical concept of grace. It's not even biblically mentioned or alluded to. There's no notion of this universal prevenient grace as they define and describe it. We've done that. It was lesson 23. Scripture instead gives a different picture of how grace saves. And we started into this last week, which would be a Calvinist understanding of God's grace. We started by making a distinction between common grace and special grace. It is a biblical distinction. Where even Calvinists affirm and acknowledge that there is a dimension of God's grace that is universal. It's given to all people without exception. This is common grace, and it consists of God's general goodness to all his creatures. But this common grace is not redeeming in any way. It doesn't change the sinner's nature. It doesn't draw anyone to Christ. There is a grace that does that, and that's referred to as special grace. Special grace is a term given to God's saving grace in Scripture, and that that involves his direct intervention in the lives of sinners. 
And we've established how biblically this, such a special grace is necessary. Because given how mankind, after the fall, being depraved, is lost, blind, enslaved, dead, apart from God's direct intervention, no one can choose him, no one will. We're lacking in will and ability. So God has to intervene, and that's what this special grace is, his intervention. It differs from Arminian prevenient grace in that it is particular, it's not universal. This special grace is only given to his chosen ones. It's concurrent with election. It's also salvific. It does not merely make sinners savable, but it effectively procures their salvation. And it's irresistible or effectual. Remember the term we chose, a better term, where that this saving grace, it always accomplishes God's saving intention. When God gives it, it's going to result in that person's salvation effectually. For none can thwart his sovereign will. Now, that being said, last time we also clarified that God does not force or coerce people to believe and be saved. He doesn't drag us kicking and screaming into the kingdom against our wills. Instead, what God does here is he supernaturally changes the sinner's nature, a change in their heart and nature, which which produces a new will. His work of grace opens blind eyes, restores corrupt minds, and raises the spiritual dead. And those who are made new creatures then willingly turn to Christ in faith and are saved. It's true, you must believe to be saved. But apart from God, we are unwilling and unable And we will never be saved. And his work of special grace makes us new creatures such that now we are willing and able. And we will turn and and believe and receive the fullness of salvation. This special grace is sovereign, though, such that all who are made new creatures will respond. They will turn to God. They will be saved. This is what we've covered so far the past couple of lessons. But we're not quite done, like I had mentioned last week. We want to take this understanding of grace even further. And I mentioned last time the actual mechanisms of this special grace, this intervention, come in the form of the effectual call and regeneration. These two, I guess you would say, theological terms, or biblical terms, the call and the regeneration of sinners. This is how, specifically, God actually intervenes to bring this about, to bring about our salvation, to, to change us, to draw us to himself. These are the expressions of special grace, effectual call and regeneration. And so we're, we're doing this study here. At this point, we're just trying to understand better God's grace and salvation, what he does, how he does it. So we need to study the effectual call and regeneration. That's going to help us understand God's grace better. Okay, you, you get that, put that together. So... For the rest of this lesson, we're going to study the effectual call. Then the next, le- next week, regeneration. So turn to Romans 8. This is where we'll start for tonight after that little review. Romans 8, it's a perfect starting point for introducing you to the call, the special call. Romans chapter 8, turn there. This passage is perfect for establishing a basic order of salvation. There are different aspects of salvation. You have justification in the past to glorification in the future, right? The, the whole, the fullness of our salvation with, uh, you know, that, 
that awaits glorification in the future, right? So that we, know, we understand there's dis- different aspects of our salvation. In fact, we've learned back in our study in election that our salvation actually began in eternity past in the, the, the counsel and choosing of God before the foundation of the world, his eternal plan. But we're going to see here how this special calling is an important link in that chain of our salvation. It's, it's a factor. The calling. It's got its own little place. Romans 8, look at verse 20, 28. You know this passage. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. There it is. He called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. This, this chain of events, this is a, a chain of the plot process of salvation or God's plan of salvation. It begins with foreknowledge here in verse 29, which we established a long time ago. This has nothing to do with God looking forward in time, learning facts about people, like will they believe or not. It's all about God looking forward and, and seeing and knowing people. It's not knowledge about people. He's foreknowing people. This is like relationship in advance. This foreknowledge speaks of God setting his love on people beforehand. That's what this is. And accordingly, God then predestined these people whom he had set his love on to redemption in his son Christ. And so this foreknowledge and predestination takes place in eternity past, the eternal counsel of God in the past. But then this plan of salvation to redeem these chosen people has to be actualized in the life of a sinner. And so when it comes into our lifetime, we find that the next step is not justification. You might think that would be the next step to be justified, but there's a step before our justification. And that's the calling. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And then it says those whom he called, he justified. And the chain goes on. So a few observations about this this, this chain here, Romans 8, this calling here, we, we can already discern it. It pertains to the elect only. This pertains to the elect only. We know that because only the predestined are called. The only ones called here are the predestined ones, and that's not everybody. Also, those who are called will be justified. They will be glorified. That's also not everybody. This is only the elect, those predestined. It's just in the passage These are the predestined. Only the elect are called. Receive this call. Secondly, this calling is effectual. Everybody called here, they're going to be justified. And everyone justified, they're going to be glorified. This is a salvific call. If you get this call, you're going to end up eventually in glory, in in heaven. This passage is referred to, by the way, as the golden chain because there's no interrupting this plan. This is God's sovereign salvation. You can't break this chain. You don't have the power. If he's foreknown you and predestined you, it's just a matter of time before he will summon you. That's the call. And then justify you and eventually glorify you. 
And also we can note here this calling takes place before justification. You know the gospel. The glory of the gospel is that sinners can be justified or made right with God by faith. Justification by faith. That's how we are made right, reconciled to God. Justified by faith. So justification takes place in response to our faith. You know that. That's very clear. Like Romans 3, right? We're justified by faith. You have to have faith before you're justified. That's so faith, which in Scripture, that, that term would be conversion. That's before justification. But how are sinners even able to respond in faith that they might be justified, made right with God? Well, clearly this call is going to have something to do with that. This call, whatever it is, we're going to keep studying, but whatever this call is, it's going to do something to enable sinners to turn to God in faith. And we're going to find it's not just a call, it's a sovereign call. It, it affects, it, it guarantees this turn to Christ in faith so that there's no boasting, that this is truly God's uh, sovereign call, his sovereign will in drawing us to faith. So let's keep going. This is, this is our starting point. Romans 8 helps build a basic order of salvation. We see the calling has its own place. So we want to learn more about this call. Now, before we keep going with the, the sovereign call, the effectual call, we first want to talk about the external call or the general call. We have to make another distinction. Remember last week, we're studying grace. We made the distinction between common grace and special grace. Well, likewise, there's a distinction in Scripture between God's external call and his effectual call. So let's talk about these right now. Let's start with the external call or the general call, the universal call. Like common grace, very similar. It goes out to all people. It's universal. It's given to everybody. Also, it's, it's not saving, just like common grace is not saving. That's the role of the special call or the effectual call. We'll get to that in a second, but let's just cover the external call, starting with the definition. What does it consist of? In this case, look, this is rather simple. The external call simply consists of the verbal proclamation of the gospel message. It's just the gospel. The external call is the gospel message. In fact, it doesn't, have to be, it doesn't even have to be audible. You could just read it in scripture. But that it's the content of the gospel message. That is this external call. It's the call of salvation given by the testimony of scripture and also by human preachers. Anytime the gospel is read or preached, the general call, the external call has gone forth. It's the preaching of the gospel. That's simple enough. In this regard, it just consists of the gospel message, which 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 3 and 4 summarizes that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Those are the, the essential kernel truth to the gospel. And of course, you can obviously take that and expand that as why does scripture itself? So the definition, the call, it's just, it's the message of the gospel going forth. That's the external call. Let's better understand it by talking about its character, a little bit about its character. First, it is universal. I'd already mentioned this, but just to cover it again, it's universal. This external call of the gospel is intended to go out to all people. It's meant for everybody. Now, 
In this case, not everyone actually receives it. Not everyone hears the gospel before they die. But scripture doesn't discriminate here. We are called to take the gospel to everyone. Knowing it, we're not to withhold it from everyone, or anyone rather. This call is intended for everyone, without exception, for the world. We are to blanket the world with the external call. It's universal. God himself does this. For example, Isaiah 55 in the Old Testament. God himself says, everyone who thirsts, Isaiah 55, 1, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, eat. He says in verse 6 and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God himself calling the ends of the earth, just come to me, eat, drink, be, be saved. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God himself issuing the external call, the general call. Same with the New Testament. You remember Christ preaching in Matthew 11, this general call, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. That's everybody. It's a general call. He will give them rest if they come. You have an example, we won't look here for time, but Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast. This, this, this uh, master was giving a great wedding feast and all, invited a bunch of people, but they made excuses. They were called, they didn't come. And it represents Israel, of course, in the context of Matthew 22. And so he went out to the highways and byways and called a bunch of other people, just compelled them to come, call everybody and invite them to the feast. And people came and they wined and dined. At the same time, the parable also goes on to talk about one person came to the feast, but he wasn't dressed in wedding clothes. He was kicked out. And Christ is teaching a couple things here, that this calling is both universal yet particular. There's a sense which it goes out to everybody, but you only are permitted if you're wearing the right clothes, meaning Christ's righteousness, obviously. Everyone receives the general call, but not everyone is regenerated and can truly enter. We'll talk more about, obviously, regeneration later, what it takes to, to gain entrance, so to speak. But Christ ended that parable by saying, many are called, few are chosen. And Christ himself affirming, this call goes out to, to many, really to everybody. It's for everybody. But it doesn't say if it's, it's only few are chosen. It, in, in itself is not sufficient. In fact, we can point out now to the next point, it's not saving. The call is universal, but it is not saving. In other words, it's not, it's not effectual. It's ineffectual. It's not enough. It's not sufficient. This general call, external call, is not saving. It's offered to all, but not all are saved by it. We know that God saves people through the preaching of the gospel, Right? But the gospel message, it's not like some magic incantation where if you just say these words, a person will automatically be saved. It's not how it works. All people are invited to drink of the living waters and feast on the bread of life. But you know, a lot of people reject. that they, they reject the call. You call them to Jesus and they reject. It's in this sense that in, in a manner of speaking, God's will can be said to have been thwarted. He offered them the call, but they rejected, they thwarted God's will. Now, of course, this external call, we've talked before about the two wills of God, right? His sovereign will and his moral will. This external call refers to God's revealed will, 
not his sovereign will. Just like in one sense, God wills that no one should ever sin. That's his revealed will, his moral will, because it is right. Now that will is broken all the time. And similarly, God wills that this, this call would go to all people, that all would be saved. That's a good and right desire, that everyone would be saved. That's his revealed will. And this call goes out according to his revealed will, just to blanket the earth with the news of Christ. But God understands and knows, per his sovereign will, it will be resisted by many, for they are dead in their trespasses and sins. But this is why God commands it to go out to all people. We'll see shortly that there's another sense where God has sovereignly declared the salvation of some people, and they will receive a special call that will draw them to salvation, a call that is effectual. But again, we'll get to that in a second. You have a few examples here for uh, like Luke 13, 34, where Christ shows up to Jerusalem, and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Christ expressing his desire as the Lord over Israel, he wanted them to believe, to accept the Messiah. Per his revealed will, that's only good and right, but they would not have it. They rejected him. And in a revealed will sense, they resisted God's will. Now, of course, was that according to God's sovereign will? Absolutely. That was all foreseen and planned, that the Messiah would be rejected. Uh, no one can resist and thwart his sovereign will, but they can his revealed will. Similarly, Acts 7.51, preaching to Jews, and it says, you, uh, Stephen says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, through the preaching of the Word, was calling them, through Stephen, to repent and turn to Christ. But they resisted. They successfully resisted the general call. But you know what? That's by design. This call is not saving. It's not effectual. It's not powerful in itself. If, if all there ever was, was this external call, the preaching of the gospel, without some extra power from God, no one would be saved. This, this call is not enough. Necessary, but not sufficient. Just remember that. It's necessary, but not sufficient. By the way, that's why it's called the external call. It just pertains to your, your ears, not your heart. It, not your nature. This call does nothing to change your nature. So, you know, the expression falling on deaf ears is rather appropriate. Or you might say falling on dry bones. That's what the external call does. It just falls on dry bones. You might think of Ezekiel 37, the vision of the valley of dry bones. And God said to the prophet, can these bones live again? And humanly speaking, no, they can't. You can say all day like, hey, come alive, you know, follow me. And they will never heed that call because they're just, it's just a pile of dry bones. They, they can't. It's, it's ridiculous. Unless there's some special power that first brings them to life and reassembles them and brings them to life, they're not going to heed this call. They can't. And that's the whole point of, of that uh, prophecy. But anyway, this general call, it goes out to dead people. By itself, it cannot bring them to life because people are unable and unwilling to respond to this call. They need a special call. One more thing, though, before we get to there, we'll mention it's, it's genuine. The third characteristic of this 
external call. Worth mentioning here briefly that it is genuine. And because God does not provide the same saving grace necessary to respond to this call to all people, Arminians like to criticize Calvinists and say, look, you know, your whole version of this call, it just makes God insincere. You know, this God offering salvation to all people, calling everyone to salvation, that's just a sham because, look, they can't believe. If they're not of the elect, they can't believe. So it's all just insincere is what they often say. But this objection is simply stems from exalting human reason above scripture. And to this, Calvinists simply respond that, you know, the general call is genuine because scripture says it's genuine. God says it's genuine. Calvinists have no problem saying that God calls all people to repent and that God wants all people to repent. That's true. Per his revealed will, that's absolutely true. Ezekiel 18 and 33, 11. God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they should turn and live. That's true. God, God wants the wicked to repent and believe. And Calvinists aren't teaching that God gives this general call, but he's secretly hoping that most people won't accept the invitation. That's, that's a caricature. This is a sincere offer. It's made to all people. And what makes it sincere is that the conditions are absolutely true. The conditions of this call are true. If you repent and believe, you will be saved. Just turn to Christ, drink of the water, eat of his flesh, you know, believe in him, you will be saved. If you meet those conditions, you will be saved. That's a genuine call. When the conditions of repentance and faith are met, God answers with the full gift of justification, the, the completion of a person's salvation. Now, the fact that sinners are unable to meet those conditions on their own does not make God insincere in his offer. God is under no obligation to give special grace to all people or, or to any person. That's his divine prerogative. That does not make this offer insincere. It makes him good for even creating a plan and path of salvation and merciful. God says to all people, repent and not perish. He desires this sincerely because that's good and righteous. He knows, however, people are bound by their fallen natures and they can't repent and believe unless he intervenes. That does not make his offer any less sincere, though. The fact that he only shows special grace to some and not all is, again, simply his divine prerogative. This external call is universal. It is sincere. The call to all to repent and believe. And we as a church are called to pick up this call and, and be the actual mouthpiece of the call. So we go preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. But again, it's not saving. It's not enough. It's necessary, but not sufficient. And so real quick, we'll mention the necessity of the external call. It is necessary. We might be able to imagine a universe where God did things differently, but in this case, he has chosen, just by his own plan, to join together the external call with the effectual call. And what that means is, the, although the gospel itself can't save people, just that message preached by itself can't save anybody. At the same time, God does not save anyone apart from the message preached or read or whatever. You get what I'm saying? The external call of the gospel, whether it's read in the pages of scriptures or 
or spoken by a preacher. It's the chosen mechanism for God to issue a special call, which does result in a person's salvation. So God, by his own choosing, he's basically said, you know what, you really need to be saved. You need this special call. But I'm not going to give this special call apart from the gospel call. And this is why we must preach the gospel for others to be saved. And apart from the preaching of the gospel, people won't be saved. It's God's chosen vehicle by which where he has placed his power. And at the time he chooses, as the gospel, gospel goes forth, by his will, he issues a, a special call, an effectual call, so that the person hearing the gospel can now respond to it and, and be saved. So Romans 1. Well, real quick, turn to Romans 10. Um, if you're, you're already in Romans 8, so you might as well. And Romans makes a big deal out of this. Romans 1, Romans 10. Turn to Romans 10. You know, Romans 1.16, the thesis of Romans, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone who believes. So there's power in this message. How so, though? How does it come about? Why is it necessary? He explains throughout the whole book of Romans pretty much. But chapter 10, you know, the verse 8 he mentions regarding the righteousness of faith. He says, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. Key words there, mouth and heart. He picks up on that in verse 9, a very well-known verse. That if you confess with your mouth and believe... Uh, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You must believe to be saved. Again, that's clearly true in Scripture. Repent and believe, you will be saved. But, he says down in verse, let's just, for the sake of time, jump to verse 13. He says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How's that going to happen, though? Verse 14. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. In verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. God is so determined that no one will be saved apart from the preaching of the gospel. He's placed his power in the the message of Christ, the good news of Christ, the gift of is received by faith in Christ, and apart from it, no one is saved. James 1.18, 1 Peter 1, you can read those verses later, but they likewise affirm that it's by the word of truth, the word, the preaching of the word, that God issues the divine summons. So, altogether, just necessary but not sufficient. That, that just summarizes it right there. This call, the gospel call, the external call, it is completely necessary for salvation, but it's not sufficient. What is sufficient? The, exter- the effectual call is sufficient. So let's turn to that now. Let's, let's transition now and the rest of our time explore the effectual call. This is the call that is sufficient for salvation. So let's, let's cover this here, the effectual call. Starting with the definition, just to keep things a little bit parallel. The effectual call, just think of a divine summons. This is a divine summons. Where God summons the sinner. 
from a state of spiritual death to spiritual life. This is a divine summons to new life, a spiritual life. And per its nature, this call carries with it the power of God. Within this call, it comes with God's power to bring about new life. A new creature comes about as a result of this call because it comes with God's power. This is a powerful call. Not like us. When we preach the gospel, we don't have any power. I can't, I can't make that guy alive so he will believe me. I know unless God does that, he's not going to believe me. But God does that as he wills. He has the power to bring a valley of dry bones alive. So this is an act of God's sovereign will where those who are called, they're transformed, and thereafter they will respond in faith to the gospel and be justified carrying on the chain of salvation. This is the calling before justification that makes you new so that you will believe and be justified. This special grace, or this special call rather, is often referred to as the effectual call. It parallels effectual grace. Remember going back to last week, the common grace, not saving, but then there's special grace, effectual grace, That is saving. Well, it comes through first the effectual call. Hope it's starting to, you know, fall into place in your mind, starting to click together. You're seeing how it works together. Next week, regeneration, it'll hopefully really start to seal in there. But anyway, like I said before, sometimes as the general call goes forth, the preaching of the gospel goes forth. In the the time of God's choosing per his will, a sinner hears the general call And God issues concurrently a special call. This sovereign call where he brings them to life. And concurrently hearing the gospel, their eyes are opened. Their their heart is awakened. Their ears are unloosed. They can understand it. And they're transformed. And and they, they irresistibly believe and accept and turn to Christ. And then they're justified. They're made right with God. That's That's how it works. At 2 Thessalonians 2.14 is a key verse showing how the external call and the effectual call always go hand in hand. Where he says, speaking of salvation, that it was for this that God called you through our gospel. That you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We're called through the gospel. That's the effectual call and the external call in one verse. We're called. The effectual call. We're, we're called to salvation through the gospel, all in one verse. Now, this will help, again, to just hopefully clear up your understanding that you understand this. Let's talk about the character of the effectual call. So you, you better know it, better understand it, what we're talking about here. Several points here on the character of the effectual call. This one is internal. First, it is internal. Obviously contrasted to the external call. This is an internal call. Which just means this call affects your heart, your nature. This is a call that deals with your, your, your soul, your nature. This is a heart level recreation of one's nature. I've already let the cat out of the bag several times and said that the effectual call is really the other side of the coin of regeneration. And so you'll see how that connects next week with regeneration. But Acts 16, 14, right? Remember Lydia, Paul's preaching to these women in Philippi, these Jewish women. And Acts 16, 14 said, as Paul is preaching, that the Lord opened her heart 
to respond to the things preached, spoken of by Paul. Paul is out there preaching the gospel, general call. This is a bunch of dead people listening to it. They can't respond. But here, God opened her heart in a manner of speaking and enabled her to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. That's a, a critical verse. It just makes it actually rather plain, though, what God does. So it's internal. Secondly, it's particular. It is particular. This call does not go to everybody. This call only goes to the elect. We already read Romans 8, right? The predestined. Only those who receive this call are the foreknown and the predestined. John 10, the good shepherd passage, where Christ mentions how the shepherd, he calls his sheep by name. And then they come to him. They respond to the voice of the master. Only after they're called, and notice they're called by name. A picture of salvation, obviously, we know. And the shepherd calls, they come out, he gives eternal life to them. That's how it works. It starts with the shepherd's call by name. It's a particular call. This is also made clear in Acts 2.39, which speaks of the promise of salvation which is for as many as the Lord will call to himself, right? Who is the promise of salvation effectively for? It says, as many as the Lord will call to himself. That's not everybody. It's, it's his chosen ones. Romans 9, 23 and 24. It says, God has made known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy who were prepared beforehand for glory, those whom he called among Jews and Gentiles. That's not everybody. The, that verse associates the called with these vessels of mercy, as opposed to the vessels of wrath, these ones who've been chosen beforehand, set aside for God's mercy, they will be called. The vessels of mercy will be called. And 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14 mentions how we are beloved by God, and he says, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation and that you're called through the gospel uh, to receive the glory of the Lord. But it's so clear there that you're beloved by God and God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation to be revealed at, at the time. And it comes through the calling. It just puts it together. This calling is tied to everything we studied about election. This is just the next step in the chain. You're foreknown, you're predestined, That's eternity past. Then, hey, someday you're born, you grow up, and on the day of God's appointing, uh, you're called. Someone will preach the gospel to you, and you will be called to life on that day. That's the next link in the chain. Thirdly, it is undeserved. This calling is undeserved. So we're still talking about grace here. This is the overlap with effectual grace. You don't deserve this. You don't earn this call. You've done nothing to receive this call. Which is why it's still purely of grace. There's no boasting because you're, you're just dead. You did nothing to bring yourself to life. It's God's call. You remember 1 Corinthians 1, 6, uh, 26 through 31, where it's a little bit longer passage, but Paul says, Consider your calling, brethren. There are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. And he goes on. See, our calling had nothing to do with us. We weren't special or better or more righteous or or anything, but dead, lost sinners bound to sin. 
And his calling was purely by grace, which is why he says later, there's no boasting. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, because consider your calling. You weren't special. He made you special by grace. But that's why we boast in him that there's no grounds of boasting. This is a grace gift and a gracious call. And again, 2 Timothy 1.9, God has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to works, but his purpose and grace in Christ Jesus. That's a verse just to, to highlight, to, to remember. That God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to works, but his purpose and grace in Jesus Christ. There you go. What more needs to be said? Just to keep going here, the next characteristic, it is saving. It is saving God's call, this effectual call. It is effectual. It is saving. Again, Romans 8.30, if you've been predestined, you'll be called. And if you're called, you're going to be justified and you're going to be glorified. This is an effectual saving call. Romans 11.29 says, The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. If you've been called, if you've received this call, this divine summons to God, to life, that's irrevocable. Now, in the context of Romans 11, it was talking about uh, national Israel. So national Israel as a people, a God's special people, that's an irrevocable status. But it, it overlaps with God's individual call. That If you've been individually called and chosen, that's irrevocable. Uh, those called will be saved. This is a saving call. And really the effect of this call in Scripture, what does this do? It, it makes you a saint. That's the pattern in Scripture, that if you're called, you're a saint. And the word saint just means holy one, set apart one, chosen one. That's what this call does. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. We're saints by calling. You're not saints by nature. Not even close. We are. That's the whole point. We are not saints. But by calling, we are. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son. That's what this calling does. It, it, it brings us into fellowship with Christ. Makes us fit for fellowship. And so really this calling, it, it's so associated with salvation. right? It's, it's right in there, in the middle of the chain of salvation, right? Which is why many times in scripture, a synonym for Christian is what? The called. Definite article. Like you are the called. 1 Corinthians 1.24 you know, Christ crucified foolishness, that whole passage. You know, Christ is foolishness to the world. But it says, but to the called, he's the wisdom of God and the power of God. Romans 1, 6 and 7, it says, you are the called of Jesus Christ, called as saints. That's who you are now. You are the called. That's how special and particular this calling is. In Jude 1, it says, to those who are the called, Beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. This is who we are. So much so that Revelation 7, hey, third time's a charm with that one. Let's see if we can get a fourth one tonight. <laughs> Revelation 17, 14, it talks about those with Christ. And when it says, he, um, those who are with him, Christ who overcomes, they are the called and the chosen and the faithful. That's who we are. The called and the chosen and the faithful in the end, those who will be with him. 
Well, let's, let's try and wrap this up. We've got a couple more here. A couple more characteristics. Briefly, its source is God. This is obviously at this point, I think we've covered this, but its source is God. The source of this calling is God. Here, I'll simply point out more specifically in Scripture, it's really God the Father. It, within the Trinity, this special call, it's, it's attached to God the Father. He is the one who issues forth this divine summons. He, he calls sinners to life. We'll see next week in Sending Regeneration how the Son and the Spirit work together to, to make it happen. That's how they take part. But it's really the Father who issues forth the summons. He's the specific agent of this call. You can read those verses on your own. And then next, lastly, its destination is kingdom glory. This is just a special theme of Scripture, so I wanted to throw it in here. So many verses talk about this calling, and as I was studying these verses, a theme just popped out that the destination, the end of this calling is basically just kingdom glory. That's where this calling will take you, to kingdom glory. So Philippians 3.14 speaks of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's an upward call. Thankfully, we, we want to go up, not down. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 2.12 tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Where are you being called? Into his own kingdom and glory. It's, this is a, a glorious call. Hebrews 3.1 speaks of this as a heavenly calling. Hebrews 9.15 those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. In 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself strengthen, establish, perfect, and confirm you, and so forth. But this calling, it's a call to eternal glory. It's a calling to a, a glorious kingdom. And so it should not surprise us that this calling corresponds with holiness, right? This is a holy calling. If you've been called up there, God is holy. It's a place of perfect holiness. It only makes sense. This is going to be a call of perfect holiness, a call to holiness. And that's what we find in Scripture. Called by God in heaven, uh, those called by God in heaven to dwell with him there, this calling, it's only natural that it's going to produce the character of heavenly holiness in those who are called. The mark of those who are called is that here and now, they will live with a heavenly holiness. And so Romans 1.7 says we are called to be saints or holy ones. 1 Peter 1.15 says, like the holy one who called you, be holy. Right, The basis of our holiness here and now is We've been called with a holy calling. 1 Peter 2.9 mentions how we've been called out of darkness into marvelous light. And so therefore, like Ephesians 4.1 says, we should walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Right, we've been called and justified and saved, but as you know, we still have the sinful flesh. So we're not completely perfect here and now. But our calling is such that we will walk in a manner worthy of the call. Which call? The, the upward call. The call to glory. The call to be like Christ. That's where we're going to end up. right? Those justified will be glorified. Will happen. But right now this life is about walking in a manner worthy of this calling. 
This is a heavenly calling, a call, an upward call to kingdom glory. So this is what we have here, better understanding the effectual call. We can finish with a brief word on its necessity, which we've, we've already established, I think, pretty crystal clear. The necessity of this call, I mean, just go back at this point to all of our studies on original sin, total depravity, total inability, and you'll see Scripture's case for why this effectual call is necessary. If God never issued this call to the spiritually dead, no one would ever respond to the gospel and be justified. It's like walking across the street to the graveyard and just saying, you know, hey, follow me, people in the grave. Just come follow me. Come follow Jesus. It's, it's like we said before, ridiculous. They, they're, they're dead. They have no ability, no power to do so. And likewise, you don't have the power to bring them to life. But God has the power to bring dead people to life first such that they then can heed the call. And so the effectual call, we will see ties with regeneration to bring the dead to life. Then they respond to that external call to be justified. A final fitting example, which I alluded to last week. We don't have to turn there, but I'll summarize. John 11, Jesus with Lazarus, his friend who had died. He let him die on purpose. Could have saved him, could have healed him kept him going, but he let him die on purpose to show the works of God, as you know. So he shows up four days late, make sure he's really dead. He's been in there for a while in the tomb. And so everyone knows he's without a doubt dead in the sealed tomb. But you know the story, they open the tomb and Christ issues a call, a command. What is it? He says, Lazarus, come forth. How can he do that? He's dead. He's been dead and rotting. He can't come forth. That's, that's crazy talk. The dead can't answer. The dead can't obey the call to follow Jesus. However, because he's Jesus, with the call came the divine power to first raise him from the dead. In this case, to physically raise him from the dead, after which he was able to obey that call and he came forth. He obeyed the call. And this was a physical reality. This really happened. But Christ was teaching, of course, many spiritual truths in this episode. One of them being this is salvation. This is a picture of salvation where first the call goes forth to, well, as the call to come forth goes, there is concurrently this divine summons to life. You're raised, spiritually raised. A spiritual resurrection takes place. You come alive, then you can heed that call to come follow Jesus. This is the power of God through the gospel in the effectual call. And it's been said, speaking of Lazarus, if Jesus had simply uttered, come forth, the whole graveyard would have emptied and come alive and come to follow him. Such is the power of this call. It's a powerful, sovereign call. It's particular, though. That's why he said, Lazarus, come forth. The sheep are called by name. But this is the picture we get in scripture. It's, it's rather clear. There is a general call. There is a universal call, like there's common grace. But God is sovereign in salvation. And that only accords with a special grace and a sovereign will that funnels through a, a call. In the chain of salvation, we're not all, but those whom God has chosen and predestined in the day of their appointed salvation are summoned. And you can't, you can't turn down that summons. 
that the dead are just brought to life. Uh, but you don't want to, you wouldn't want to anyway, turn that down because it, it leads to salvation. It's effectual and leads to us turning to Christ by which we're justified. So I hope that gives you a better understanding of the effectual call and thereby God's grace. This is how God's grace brings us to salvation. One more little link to go. And as we come back next week and study regeneration, we'll see how even further, even more specifically, what happens uh, to, to bring about this saving work in the call. Sound good? Then I'll pray for us, and we'll, we'll see you next week. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we praise your name this evening, just beholding this call. It's like we're peeking under the hood of salvation. If you didn't reveal this to us, we would never know such as, you know, your hidden will. But Lord, you have revealed that why did we turn to Christ at some point in our lives? That we all come here, we believe in Jesus. Someone preached the gospel to us. We read a tract. We read the Bible. Someone, we heard a sermon. We encountered the gospel and we believed. And Lord, it sure felt like it was us, like we chose to believe. And we did. Your word says we, we, we certainly did choose to follow Christ. But we learned, Lord, how we were even able to do that. Because our hearts testify and scripture makes clear we, we didn't have the ability. We were ourselves lost, blind, dead sinners with no will or ability to respond. What we've learned this evening is only by your grace, your special grace that called us that we were able to respond and believe and be justified. So we can't boast that we were special because we chose you We did choose you, Lord, but you chose first, and you called us first. Before we called on the name of Christ, we were called to life. And so we just give you the glory tonight for this. We remember this. I pray it gives us all a deeper appreciation of our salvation and a a deeper just celebration in in our salvation that how secure we are to know we've been called by you first, to know that we will be kept by you, We have nothing to fear that the God who called us is still with us. We know you will keep us, Lord. And so may we just press on and end this salvation and endure, knowing, you know, one day we will find the end of this upward call, and that's glory. You've called us to yourself. You've called us to heaven and to holiness. And so may we now just live in that holiness, walking in a manner worthy of our calling until you you finish this and take us home and glorify us. To your glory, may this be true in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.